0: Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12. Lester and Larry were working on a construction project, and they ate lunch together every day. And on a particular week, on a Wednesday, Larry says, I can't believe it. (laughs) I've got bologna sandwiches again. I am so tired of bologna sandwiches. And his friend says to him, well, just, just tell your wife you'd like to have something different tomorrow. He says, I would, but I'm not married and I live alone. <laughs> 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 the moral of this story is, you are the reason for most of the baloney in your life. <laughs> more often than not we blame our problems on other people and nowhere is this more prevalent than we fi- when we find ourselves in a conflict with someone but what god wants us to learn today is the godly way to respond to a conflict so that he can enable us to live in peace before we do that we want to review just briefly the last sermon, which was a couple of weeks ago. If you weren't here, you can hear it on the website. It's there. But we looked at where conflict comes from, because if we can understand where conflict comes from, we may be able to nip it in the bud as we deal with it right at its source. So the first source of conflict is, is a pleasure, the things that we enjoy in life. These are not wicked pleasures. These are normal pleasures. The things that we eat, the activities we enjoy, the feelings that come, the, the rest that we need, the schedule that we have, the, the fellowship we desire with other people. Conflict can come from these because I may want things that are pleasurable, different from my wife or from other people in the world that are around me, and so we come into conflict about what we're going to do or where we're going to go. Secondly, conflict can come from the desire for significance. This is a uh, a polite way to say pride. We want to be something. We want to achieve something. We want to be seen a certain way. And when other people's activities uh, don't allow us to be seen as significant we come into conflict. Number 3, conflict can come from opinions. In other words, there are there are truths in God's word that are absolute right and wrong, and then there are many other things, the way that we live our lives and ways that we interact that that are the application of God's word, and those things are uh, there are some some uh, some uh, leeway that's allowed by God, and we have opinions about things. Perfectly okay to have an opinion, to have a strong opinion, to live by your opinion, and yet our opinions can come be sources of conflict when others don't share our opinion. Number four, conflict, conflict can be over error. There are issues of right and wrong in the scripture, and some people don't agree, and so we can come into conflict over that. There are issues of doctrine in the scripture that are right and wrong. Uh, We're talking about a whole area like that um, in uh, in our Sunday school hour when we talk about creation and evolution, and some Christians who want to go to Genesis chapter 1 and make it into something other than what it is. And when we disagree, there will be conflict over that. Number five, conflict can come because of mistreatment. There are times in all of our lives in which we're not treated fairly. Um, That will happen in in small ways and in large ways. All of these things are, are sources of conflict, and if we can begin to identify where did this conflict come from, we may be able to deal with it right on the spot, But as that temptation to conflict or the opportunity for conflict comes, the next step that we have to consider is, how do I respond to it? We're not talking about the the end result, the end goal, say, of maybe you've gotten into a conflict and there needs to be a process of reconciliation. We're just talking right up front, how do I respond to conflict? And I've chosen to, to address this topic from Romans chapter 12, Verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. The first thing that I want you to understand is this. A godly response to conflict, if you are going to respond in a godly way, it is going to be supernatural. Now I understand some of us are more prone to the outward demonstration of conflict and some of us are prone to a more inward uh, handling of things. And so on the surface, some people may look godly even though internally they are not. Some people may look ungodly and so on. But the question we have to ask is Am I acting in a natural manner or a supernatural manner? When conflict occurs, our usual reaction is to act in a natural, self serving way that puts a quick end to the problem. Our natural inclination for dealing with conflict will always favor ourselves because that is our go to. Prideful, self-involved, human nature rearing its head. In the summer of seventh grade, I attended a music camp of sorts at Everett Community College. We were there for five hours every day for six weeks or something like that and, and uh, learned all kinds of things and had a band and a choir and a whatever. And there were kids from all over uh, uh, junior high and high schools there. One of the other attendees was a kid from my school in Marysville named Doug who apparently got up each morning thinking, how can I be a thorn in the side of Dave Lunsford? (laughs) Now, I think I'm a likable guy most of the time, especially in junior high. I don't know. maybe Maybe I deserve the thorn. After he would get up every day and meditate, he would set off for five hours of bugging me. After several weeks of turning the other cheek, I grabbed him by the lapels and put him up against the wall and helped him to understand that his health would be in jeopardy if his behavior did not change. I, you know, that's just not the way I usually handle things, but it worked. And I was glad that it worked. But I hope you can understand that that is a natural response to conflict, not a godly response. And the reason I responded that way is because I wasn't living for the Lord. The supernatural response goes like this. I say to you, love your enemies. I did not love Doug. I didn't. I just wanted him to leave me alone. That's all I cared about. I didn't care a lick about him beyond leaving me alone. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. I can guarantee you I did not pray for him. Because I didn't pray for anything in that era of my life. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For He, for God, is kind to the unthankful and the evil. The model in this is always God. You know, uh, God makes the rain to rain on the just and the unjust. What would it look like in this world if God caused it only to rain on those who were living in an absolute godly way at any given time. God doesn't act that way. This is a high standard. It's a terribly high standard. And when we read, turn the other cheek, what we tend to think is a very, a very wooden kind of interpretation where if you're standing there and the guy smacks you like this, then you're supposed to go, okay, hit me again. And I think God's thought is even broader than that. Say, when the guy hits you, the way you turn the other cheek, first of all, is you don't retaliate. Because in the world's eyes, when you don't retaliate, you are weak or strong? Weak. You have put yourself in a position of weakness. And when you bless, and when you... Uh, pray for and so on you're turning the other cheek you're refusing to retaliate and instead of that you're acting in love john macarthur relayed a personal account that illustrates turning the other cheek some years ago in the store where he was working a nephew of mine was murdered by an addict looking for drug money Although deeply grieved by this tragic loss, my brother-in-law has refused to become bitter or hateful. Instead, his continued desire and prayer has been for the salvation of the man who took his son's life. He even visited him in prison to give him the greatest blessing, the gospel. Such is the kind of distinctive Christian love that seeks to bless those who do us terrible harm. The way God wants us to respond to conflict is supernatural. And we might say, well, how is that possible? It's possible when we realize the power that is within us. Therefore, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. The Apostle Paul is telling the Ephesians what's on his prayer list. That the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He says, I want you to understand God. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power. Toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How much power is within you to live the way God wants you to live? It's the same amount of power that raised Christ from the dead after he was crucified on the cross. How much power does it take to raise someone from the dead? I think it takes at least as much as will be required by you to respond in a supernatural way to conflict. When we believed in Christ, the power of God came into us through the person of Christ. If you're here today and you say, I don't have any power to deal with conflict, I would offer to you salvation in Christ. I would say to you that you need to believe in Christ so that your sin will be taken away and the new life put in. And when that happens, you will be able to act in a supernatural way. What's the first part of that supernatural way? Well, the godly response to conflict always uses edifying words. Look at Romans chapter 12 there and verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not, do not what? curse Now you say, "Well, I I never cuss." That's not what he's talking about, is it? A curse is when you say something bad, you hope something bad will happen to people. "Well, he just deserves. Well, she just deserves. Well, I hope somebody just cuts them off while they're driving down the road." That's a curse. God says the supernatural response to conflict always uses edifying words. There are two reasons why we should always use edifying words, and the first should get a great big duh. Maybe it's not a big duh. If God commands us to use edifying words, words that build up, if he commands us not to curse Why do we think it's okay to change that command? Why do we think it's, well, you know, this situation is different. That person acted this way. That person acted that way. I heard a Christian say he hated somebody. Wow. That's wrong. That's wrong. Words have to be edifying God commands it. Christian, you're either living in Christ or you're living in the flesh. You don't get to choose sin just because you feel good or because you think it works. The second reason that we've always got to use edifying words is this. What God commands is what works. Now I know that sounds a little bit pragmatic. It sounds a little bit like I'm here just to tell you what works, like a technique. I could have said, "What God commands is what brings Him honor." I could have said, "What God commands is what produces righteousness in us," but but I chose to 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 in, to put it in the terms of what works. And and, and here's here, here's what I'm thinking about here. When we get into conflict, we're trying. What we say is an effort to get it resolved. And if you really want to get conflict resolved, you need to start by saying edifying words. Nothing else will work. You think some other things are going to work. But what happens is, when there's a conflict, this is you and then the other person with whom you are conflicting. Okay? You, there's an issue, and, and you two are looking at it from different perspectives. Now, when you also use words that are non-edifying, the situation looks like that. Now you have two issues you have to deal with. Number one, you have to deal with the outer layer, which is the wicked words that you used, before you can get to the real conflict and deal with it. On TV... We see a method of conflict resolution that looks like this. And I was going to role play it, but I thought it was so harsh that that you might think I was mean as mad at somebody. But it goes like this What were you thinking about? You're so stupid. What are you doing? What are you doing? And the person goes, No, 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 no. And this person, No, no, no. Pretty soon this person goes, You're right. Has that ever happened in your life? No, because that only works on TV. And then these two people hug and make up. Or maybe the classic between two guys who who literally have a slugfest. And when they get done beating on each other, they go, oh, that was pretty cool, hey, and they put their arms around each other, and oh, they're all buddies again. That only happens on TV. Because in real life, one of those guys goes to jail. Okay. Don't buy the myth of the world when it comes to dealing with conflict. You will not use wicked words and resolve your problem. Oh, I understand that sometimes one person can be so loud and so strong that the other person stops speaking and gives in. But that's not a resolution. And it's not a resolution that honors God. God says, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The third thing we need to understand about resolving conflict, about responding to conflict, is this. The godly response to conflict is concerned for others. Now, this is the hardest thing, perhaps, of all, and as I've talked with people about difficulties in their life, uh, and, and I would, I'll just use husbands and wives as an example because I've done that a lot over the years. Um, one or the other one has, has hurt one of them, and you're talking about being concerned for the other person. Boy, that's really a tough one. Look what the Scripture says. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know what that means? That means that when you are talking to other people, you are honestly concerned for them. It's a great instruction for when we come to church. Um, Sometimes it's hard to be around people that are weeping. People that are having a hard time. But that's what God wants us to do. And when it comes to conflict, God wants us to honestly say, wait a minute, what is the other person going through? He put it this way in Philippians 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or a selfish desire, my own self-focused desire or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others. Better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Lowliness of mind means, means just putting yourself down and others up. It doesn't mean looking at yourself and saying, oh, I'm no good. It's not talking about some kind of foolish self-deprecation. It's just saying, I need to see other people. I need to see what's going on with them. But in reality, this is the way we look most of the time. I've been offended. I've been hurt. Somebody's treated me bad. Oh, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible. terrible. God says, take those glasses off and say, what about them? What did Jesus do while he was suffering on the cross? Who Who did he pray for? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We have got to do what Jesus said and love our neighbor as ourself. Now, I know in modern times people have taken this command and said, well, what that really means is you can't love your neighbor until you've loved yourself. That is not what it says. What it says is give your neighbor the place you normally give yourself. And it's very simply illustrated when you go to the grocery store. How many of you look for the longest line to get in at the grocery store? The only ones who do that are the ones who love to visit more than they love to get on with their business. We all, we look, we look, and, we, and, and, and right when we find the short line, we start to dart, and somebody just walks right into it. Oh, we're mad at them. They got there before us. And that was my place. I was here first. Yeah, you know it. That's what this means. Give your neighbor the place you normally give yourself. Well, I always give myself the benefit of the doubt. I always see my hurt. God says, take those off and look over there and say, wait a minute. There's another person in this conflict too. What's their perspective? How do they see things? In conflict, we have to stop and look through the other person's eyes. If we react to conflict, we will act in a self-serving way. We will only see ourselves. If we respond, we have an opportunity to act in a supernatural way. Number four, the godly response to conflict is formed in humility. In a way, we've been talking about humility, but verse 16 goes on and gets a little more specific. Verse 16, be of the same mind... Toward one another, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Here's a key phrase that I want to focus on. Don't be wise in your own opinion. The vast majority of us think we pretty much know how things are. Look back to verse 2, excuse me, uh, verse 3 of chapter 12. For I say through the grace of God to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God hath dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, there is a word in the Scripture that's translated sober sometimes that literally means it comes from the word for sober, as in are you drunk or are you sober, are you under the control of liquor, this word for sober, however, means to be of a sound mind. It literally means, is your mind healthy? We might put it this way, are you, are you thinking straight? We might say, what were you thinking? <laughs> Anybody ever done that? <laughs> I haven't done that, but... In a church one time we were adjusting the lights and they were at about 21 feet and we had scaffolding and it wasn't tall enough so we put a table on the scaffolding and we put a ladder on the table. Yeah, makes my palms sweat just to think about it now. Yeah, what were you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> That's not that uncommon in what we call the third world. <laughs> kind of get it done any way you can and deal with the consequences later. We look at that and we say, you're not thinking right. We question the soundness of their mind. How do you suppose you look to God when you deal with conflict in a natural fashion? You suppose God's in heaven going, what are you thinking? I suppose he is. The source of our problem here is that if we're not careful, we will live in our sinful flesh which is riddled with pride and that makes us see ourselves as perfect and see everyone else as flawed. It's the old joke about the two Quakers. You know... Everybody is messed up but me and thee, brother, and I'm beginning to wonder about thee. I hear that in the municipal organizations that I serve. and I won't name them because this is being recorded. They look around and they go, well, oh, everybody's messed up except our part of the world, and really only my squad here is squared away. And really, there's only one other guy that I really would trust to have my back. That comes from having too high of an opinion of yourself. Verse 16, don't be wise in your own opinion. Verse 3, have a sober mind, have a sound mind. By pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised, there's wisdom. And the, the, most, the real advice you need is right here. Be well advised. I must assume that neither my judgment nor my knowledge are flawless or complete. Why? Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. I could never go into a conflict thinking, I know exactly what went on here. If I do, I just have way too high of an opinion of myself. For that matter, I just have a foolish opinion of, of my knowledge of the facts. But I have to go in with a humble opinion, which says, okay, I'm going to go, and God, I'm just going to come in and say, let's see what happened. Let's see how we can resolve this. Let's, let's talk about what went on. Because maybe I will learn something in the process that, that all of a sudden I go, there's no need for a conflict. Because now I have learned some things I didn't learn. The godly response to conflict is formed in humility. Number five, the godly response to conflict never plans to do evil. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. How many ones? What? No one. Now, there is a God-ordained method of paying back people who deserve to be paid back. And what's it called? The legal system. Romans 13, that if you were to keep reading, you'd say, God says there is no authority but what comes from God, and he doesn't bear the sword in vain. If God wants somebody to be paid back now, they will be paid back now by the legal system. It's not our job. It's God working through his ordained systems. Repay no one evil for evil. This really cuts across our pride. We think, boy, you know, when I get a chance to say something or do something, I'm going to do it. It is not godly to fight fire with fire, except in the national forest under government supervision. There is no excuse for sin. There is no excuse for evil. There is no excuse for wrongdoing, payback, or whatever you might call it. There is no excuse. If you've never come to this point in your life, you need to write on your notes today, there is no excuse for sin. There is no excuse. Now, you may, you may contrive some logical system in which you think it's okay, but according to God, repay no one evil for evil. Look what he says here about those who turn this upside down. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When God uses the word woe, you ought to woe. Who did Jesus say woe about? He said, woe to you, Pharisees, scribes, blind guides. You look all the world over and find a disciple, and when you you find him, you make him twice the child of hell that you are. Woe to you. You do not want to come under God's condemnation. This is a special condemnation for those who turn truth upside down. There is no excuse for ever doing evil to anyone. Number six, the godly response to conflict requires the goal of peace. You see, if your goal is self-serving, that's what you're going to do. But look at verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you... Live peaceably with all men. Certainly, as we continue to think about conflict and and resolution, reconciliation, some people won't be reconciled. That's obviously possible. But that doesn't change our responsibility. One of the most important thoughts we can have in the process of facing conflict is, what is my goal? Is my goal to be personally validated? Is my goal to, I want everybody to see how stupid he is or she is. I'm trying to make sure everyone knows I didn't do anything wrong. I'm here to make sure they get what they deserve. Or are you here to try to make peace? Well, yeah, but Pastor Dave, if I try to make peace, I might have to overlook something they did. That's right. You might have to because you would be concerned for the same thing Jesus was concerned for. I do not pray for these alone, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Do you think Jesus wants us to walk in unity? Could that be any clearer? And so we have to have that as a goal. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. That's why Paul says this in Ephesians 4, I I beseech you, I I beg you to walk worthy of the calling by which you were called with lowliness and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace when you accept Christ as your savior the holy spirit put you into the body of christ the body of christ exists in perfect unity but we as believers can break that unity we can't break the true organic unity we can't break out of the body of christ but we can create skirmishes within the body of Christ. And he says, our job is to endeavor to keep what the Holy Spirit has created. Number seven, the godly response to conflict does not usurp the place of God. Uh, Probably most of you don't use the word usurp in your daily uh, conversation, but it means to take some place that doesn't belong to you. Look at verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Do not avenge yourself, but rather give place, literally it says, to the wrath, to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God knows who needs a payback. And God knows who the sinners are and who the saints are, and God is going to make it right someday. If you have to take one on the chin for the Lord and for his family, God knows that. And look what he promises Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Today that means address conflict in a way that honors God. That's what it means to humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What's the result of that? He will exalt you. When we get into conflict, we want to exalt ourselves. Look, I have done nothing wrong. Look, that person is wrong. We want everybody to go, you're right. That's our goal. God says, listen, you humble yourself. You have peace as a goal. You have love as an action. You bless. You don't curse. You don't do evil. All of that stuff. You do that. And if you do that, I, God, will exalt you when it's the right time. And when God exalts you, Listen to this. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. That's the blessing I want. I want to humble myself when I have to so that I can get God's blessing because it is a good blessing. There is no sorrow with it. In other words, it's not bittersweet. The blessings we can create are often bittersweet. The godly response to conflict requires doing good, and we've been talking about that all along. Jesus summarized it here. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you. Here's a little phrase that will help you remember how to act in conflict. You ready? Say good, do good, pray good. If that's all you remember going out of here today, I'll be happy. Because that's a summary. Jesus gave us a summary in one verse. I'm giving it to you in one line. Say good, do good, pray good. If you can do that, you will be acting like Christ. That means the things that come out of your mouth are good, not bad. The things that you do are good, not bad. And the prayers that you give are for the other person. Why? Why? so that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes a sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. The last point here today. The godly response to conflict realizes that righteousness is more powerful than sin. Righteousness is more powerful than sin. The, the world around us uses sin to get things done because that's all they have. The Christian is tempted to use the things of the world, but what we should use is righteousness. There are two... Look at verse 21. If your enemy is, is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him, a, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will hope, heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There are two kinds of evil that righteousness will overcome. And the first is the evil in me. Christian, you've got to be honest enough to say, I am not perfect. I am not sinlessly perfect. I have to recognize that there is evil still, still trying to be done by my sinful flesh. John MacArthur said, Our own evil is infinitely more detrimental to us than the evil done to us by others. You can be liberated from your bitter, angry, hurtful ways, your prideful ways, by righteousness in Christ. And then the other evil that is overcome with good is the evil in others. One author commented this, and and, uh, I I offer it to you as a potential explanation of heaping the coals of fire on their head. Uh, For sure we know that that's not trying to burn their head off thinking, yeah, I could go with that. The phrase, heaping burning coals on his head, referred to an ancient Egyptian custom. When a person wanted to demonstrate public contrition, he would carry on his head a pan of burning coals to represent the burning pain of his shame and guilt. The point here is that when we love our enemy and genuinely seek to meet his needs, we shame him for his hatred. And it would even be better put that God will shame him for his hatred. That may not happen right away. But if you truly believe in a powerful God, then you can follow this. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him as to a faithful creator. Now, when we read a verse like this, we tend to think of... uh, You know, uh, maybe a a Christian worker in some country that oppresses Christianity and throws people in jail. I I want to talk to you right now about dealing with conflict. When you come into a conflict situation, if you deal with it in a godly way, you may suffer. And that's that's where we think, I don't want to suffer. Here's the encouragement. If you will act in a Romans 12 kind of way, who's on your side a faithful creator who would you rather have managing your case you or god see that's the question we have to ask well i you know i think i think god doesn't quite understand i can do it better okay Maybe it would be good for you just to say that in the mirror next time you're tempted in that direction. How should I respond to conflict? In a way that's supernatural, using edifying words, with concern for others, with humility, never planning to do evil, having a goal of peace, never taking the place of God, by doing good, by using righteousness to overcome sin, all of the above. I want to challenge you today to use all of God's truth as you respond to the conflicts you will be in. I want to challenge you as you go out of here, God's going to test you, because God does that, doesn't he? You know, God usually tests me on what I'm going to preach on before I preach on it. It's kind of like, do you really believe that, Dave? And I fully expect I'll be tested later on today as well. Get it in your mind right now. Say, okay, God... Bring those points to my mind. Help me to choose a godly response. Help me to trust in you. Heavenly Father, help us to trust in you. Help us to reap your blessing when we live your way in conflict. I pray in Christ's name, amen.